everyone to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Robert O. Williams. Robert is considered one of the world's foremost experts in subtle energy engineering and technology. He's an inventor, musician, and educator, and Robert has taught music at the university level and recorded and performed with such artists as the Beach Boys, Paul Horn, and Charles Lloyd. In the area of subtle energy, he has worked with prominent scientists, including Dr. William Tiller at Stanford and Dr. Beverly Rubick at Berkeley. Robert is the inventor and developer of quantum code technology and the mobile app based on it. He's the author of Love is the Power, and we are going to discuss both of these today. Welcome, Robert. Miriam, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure. You know, I finished your book practically in one sitting, and I'm frankly amazed that you're still with us. <laughs> Did you have a very strong sense of mission to keep coming back after multiple near-death experiences and such incredibly debilitating illnesses? Uh, it's an interesting question. I actually um, didn't feel, uh, I didn't have a, like a, a strong will to come back or a mission to come back it was in those higher dimensions i had um surrendered to the whole process and um basically offered myself in, in any way to serve and i found myself coming back so it it was a, a combination of grace of the of the uh, higher forces and my my willingness to go either way i think and um my first near-death experience, I was given a choice and uh, the communication was that I had a purpose to, to go back into my body. Mm -hmm. And so that started me in these uh, different transitions. And I think that uh, that's been the easiest part. I just, you let go, you surrender and uh, things automatically happen. And this, in my case, I kept waking up in my body and breathing. <laughs> Surrender is an interesting concept. It's not something that many of us know how to do gracefully. Uh, how did you learn it? I'm glad you brought it up. And I, and I use that word a lot, and I should define a little bit more clearly what I mean by the word surrender. Uh, we often think that we're surrendering like giving up in a, in a game of tennis or something or a worse like a war or some concept like that but i use the word in the sense that i accept the now moment and uh we can start at any point we have our minds that are pretty much active all the time so we can start with whatever we're thinking and as i identify for instance what i'm thinking or what i'm feeling what emotion there is if i completely allow that i just i just allow it i'm just there which is another word for loving. Unconditional love is not placing a condition on the relationship in your mind with your emotions and outward from there, your, your life. You're not placing any kind of expectation or agenda on it. You're just there. And so that's what I call surrender. It's, it's this openness to the moment for whatever happens. Now, what, uh, what generally has happened uh, when someone completely surrenders is that 
they get in touch with their own essence because the essence of, of our life is infinite. And so it cannot be taken away from us. It can't be added to us. Is that like our soul? Yeah, it's even greater than that. So that's what I'm calling love as our essence, as the, uh, the, the prior condition to our bodies and to our minds and to, and to our emotions. And so that essence shows up because it's the only thing there, there is after we have let go of our attachments, let go of our resistances, and uh, let go of our um, trying to get something through a goal or trying to avoid something through, uh, through fear. But what's so interesting is that once the essence, once our unconditional love reality is realized as ourselves, then the desires come back generally. And so our motivations to help others or our motivations to heal or our desires to do anything, they also, they, they come back, you know, and that's the, the, uh, the wondrous way that humans evolve. We, we go into, for instance, sleep state or, or a death situation. And if we're not completely free and we're not completely done with our, our uh, contributions, then we, we come back. And it includes all the other things that we were familiar with prior to the surrender. So, you know, in my case, I, I had a desire to heal my body or to learn about health and to all these things came back. So I'm not saying that the surrender doesn't, uh, I'm not saying that surrendering then negates any desire, any motivation, any act of will, any goal. It just is at the basis so that it's, I think what you alluded to earlier, in, instead of the, the basis of our life being fear, because we don't, because we're afraid of death or we're afraid of pain or we're afraid. The basis becomes love, which is beyond the fear. And then we can go back into all those dynamics if they're not, uh, if they're not resolved and go back into the pain into our lives. But there's a uh, relationship with truth, with love that begins to, you could say, uh, well, it be, at first it begins to uh, put the painful parts of ourselves and the tragic condition of the planet and even the, the horrible, all the horrible suffering, it begins to put it into a, a perspective, you could say for a, from a long-term perspective or from a more holistic perspective, not negating our, our grief or our pain. And these are... Uh, times of suffering the earth is going through all kinds of changes we can which we can talk about but the point here is that as we then put our attention on that which we are uncomfortable with and that which we are desperate about or uh, trying to avoid um we we have this underlying sense of love and it's a it is as if the the freedom of love begins to enter the boundaries of our life and begins to enter the boundaries of the conditions of, of, of suffering and everything else. And the, the, the theory or the insight and the visions I've, I've had 
is that uh, if enough people on the planet have that relationship with themselves, so that's where it starts with their own thoughts, with their own emotions, with my own thoughts, with my own emotion, my own physical condition, my resistances, my attachments. If we, if enough people have that relationship with self from a, a basis of love or surrender, then the universal intelligence has a pathway, has an opening, has a, you could even say permission to come in and start doing things that we could not alone do. Okay. Yeah. You have just powered through my entire list of questions. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to, you know, I want to drill down a little more to, to understand them more clearly and, and maybe to provide some context to how you got to these uh, understandings. I mean, what you're describing is, reminds me of Barbara Marks Hubbard's spiral or, or the, the spiral dynamics where we keep on coming around to the same point, but at a higher level of understanding and a deeper level mm-hmm. of understanding. So we started with the notion of surrender. What were the, the primary happenings or, or uh, aids in your life that brought you to that point. You mentioned learning transcendental meditation, and you did that really as a very young man. And what did that give you? All right. So that's one of the things that uh, transcendental meditation gave me was a way back into that freedom that I had experienced as a child. I grew up um, with nature spirits and uh, celestial beings and elementals. And we can talk more about that, but that environment, which was my backyard where I was growing up, my parents' backyard, and uh, that environment has a certain quality that it is, is uh, it, it is freedom or a lightness of being that uh, was amazing. And, after the years went on, I, I lost that connection, at least to a certain degree. Were you aware of losing that connection? Were you mourning it? There was, a, there was an event where one of my celestial friends um, approached me and said that he was no longer allowed to see me. I was about 12. And in hindsight, I think it had something to do with my, my puberty and adolescent phase and that uh, his limitations were, were at that point. He couldn't continue to interact as he had been. And so he said he had to leave. And that, so that was a very significant, it wasn't subtle. He just, and, and he was, the, this quality of, of love that I looked forward to every day. So he left, became very depressed and very lonely. Couldn't figure out how to be with other people and, I, I just didn't have being a human figured out yet. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, so that was a, a definite dark night of the soul. I actually found that quality of lightness of being quality of joy in music. And that's what uh, motivated me to, to really get into music and listen to music and play music and practice music and all the different aspects because not each time, but a lot of the times, and I'm sure your audience can relate to this, music can, in a, in a sense, 
tricks the mind to let go. So we're not analyzing the music. We're not trying to figure it out. We're not trying to, you know, we can go along with the words and sing along and stuff, but this is a higher state of our joy. It's a higher state of functioning. And so music is, allows the mind to transcend itself. Do you think your passion for music was preparing you for understanding frequencies and subtle energies? Yeah. 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 I don't know if there was like a, you know, day-to-day divine plan in that, but in hindsight, it certainly did do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell us about rainbows. (laughs) Well, we all have seen rainbows after a storm and, or after the rain. And, uh, they're beautiful and we all agree that they're beautiful. We don't have to take a vote, right? Humans don't have to take a vote. How many people think it's beautiful? It's just beautiful. There's two reasons that it's beautiful. One is that, uh, the frequencies, the seven frequencies, the seven colors of the rainbow are the very same frequencies of our seven chakras. And so when we see a rainbow, we're actually seeing a reflection or we're resonating with ourselves in that kind of uh, different form. And, and anything that we actually intrinsically feel is beautiful is, is a representation or is a mirror of ourselves, like the sunset. But the other thing about rainbows is that um, they're everywhere present if the right conditions are met. So one example for this is, so there's, there's no rainbow out here right now. I'm in Portland and, you know, uh, you look outside, you don't see, but if I, if the, if I, if I got a sprinkler, you know, and we got the proper lighting could be artificial lighting. We could create our own rainbow mm-hmm. light reflected upon the water. And then we, we, we create the rainbow. It's there. So the rainbow, the, 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 uh, potential are always there. The frequencies are always there. It just, just takes the right environmental conditions and most important part of that rainbow that we just created with our sprinkler and lighting. So if we are awake, then we can see the rainbow. And then if we were in higher states, the rainbow becomes even more rich on qualities. It's like the more awake we are, the more alive we are, the more we can see. So mm-hmm. I, I love that analogy, but we haven't created this environmental condition and our own consciousness to have those rainbows all the time. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm not saying let's create rainbows, <laughs> but, it's, but it's an analogy also to a higher state of consciousness that's always there, that we have these frequencies that are innate, that are in our consciousness, that are part of nature itself, that uh, can be activated and, and uh, integrated into our lives. All, and we're all there all the time. So love is always there all the time. And the different ways that love can manifest. It's something we don't have to create. We don't have to learn. It's mm-hmm. something to be released and realized. So that understanding of the, the, the potential within each moment was deepened by the perceptions you had uh, during your near death, your first near death experience, which would you say was the most powerful? Interesting. It wasn't. It, it was certainly uh, in contrast to how I had understood reality prior to the near death experience. So the most powerful in the sense of 
the uh, the the other worlds became very illumined and and familiar and and it wasn't a subtle perception. It was very clear and very real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, in that sense, it was the most powerful initiation into those realms. I I think the most powerful actually came a couple years later when I was uh, in deep prayer and in deep meditation offering myself uh, to serve. This was after a couple years of deep prayer and silence and in a kind of a monk yogic lifestyle. Um, I had an epiphany that the uh, whole idea that we are separate and we need to become whole or that we are incomplete and that we have an experience and then we lose it and we go try to go back to it. I was still somewhat in that dualistic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so my offering of, of service, although very noble, was actually separating me from that which I could serve and who was serving. It's, it's a little tricky to talk about. But a couple of years after the near-death experience, I, um, I had that experience of, of complete unity. So there wasn't anything to search for or to seek and find uh, or to serve. There was a condition of love that automatically um, began to uh, heal my body and began to do things with very little effort from my own individuality. I believe that, and that started me into different ways in which uh, um, the algorithms of and the mechanics of consciousness were were um, investigated by me. That was the point where I was uh, given the, the freedom, again, articulating this, you know, when you're in unity, you, infinity always stays infinity. So you talk about that it, it's not infinity anymore, but just... <laughs> You know, we have this this reality. We are all humans here. And um, uh, I became fascinated with the mechanics of how light or oneness diversifies and yet never loses its unity. And that is a, a, one of the miracles of this existence we are living, is that at all times, we are all one beautiful wholeness and that our free wills were given to us to appreciate that and to glorify our uh, differences. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, one of my spiritual teachers, if you're in a bath long enough and you don't move, you don't know, you can't feel the, the, the warmth of the, the bath. You just, you know, you have to move a little bit. You have to become separate just a bit to enjoy the the condition of hmm. life. And so that gift has has given us this opportunity to enjoy our differences, my individuality, your individuality, our different bodies, our different thoughts. But it's based on this unity. And that's a function of the heart chakra. It's a function that the heart can reconcile those different paradoxes. The mind cannot do that. The other chakras can't really do that. So you talk about free will and personal expression. What, in your view, was the purpose of 
incarnation in the first place. If, you know, it's almost as if um, there's a right answer and you're here trying to figure out what it is. It is because there's suffering and there is tea and and there is pain that is now uh, looking to be released and looking to be reconfigured. We all all know that um, there's bad things happening right now and not just on the news. We can go somewhere even nearby and there's going to be suffering and that's a horrible condition. And the reason I think that uh, a certain soul groups decided to incarnate at this time was to help the whole planet and all of humanity to raise consciousness so that these motivations and thoughts and and uh, separate compartmentalized fear-based activities are decreased. And I think that's uh, why you're doing what you're doing and so many others, because we just know things can be better. It's not just our hope or our lofty fantasies. It's something that we know is true. We know it. Mm -hmm. And, and that gets into a whole phase of humanity. We're moving. The season of humanity is changing in my opinion and not experience actually. So everything goes through phases. The plant goes through the seed, the sprout, the, the stem, the leaves. These are all different phases, but we all say, well, that's the rose plant, you know, even at its sprout stage. So the, like that, humanity has gone through the various stages of development to develop the individuality, the, uh, the, the ability to uh, survive in various conditions, learn how to fight, kill for our food and other things like that. So uh, you could say that uh, that was part of our learning to uh, survive, to get out of danger, to protect our families and our, our children and so forth. After we have developed that, then the natural intelligence of who we are has its destiny as in a higher frequency, a higher state of, of um, unity or high state of vibration. And that is what we're all reacting to or we're all responding to is now the, okay, so the season, so the winter time is, is not a good time for the blossoming flower. It's a, it, the flower or the plant is going through different changes, you know, and so when spring comes, then the conditions like the rainbow, the conditions are more uh, supportive of the, the flower blossoming. So like that, the seasons of humanity have gone through the most difficult parts. And right now, this is the, we're entering, and I know people are going to go, how can you say that? Because there's so many bad things, but we're entering a, a springtime where the, what's activated now in all of our hearts is life can be better. Life can be even joyful all the time. And even suffering can be either less and less and less or completely um, eliminated or mm-hmm. not part of the condition anymore. So that's a, the blueprint. We have free will, so we don't have to respond to the blueprint, but more and more, it's like um, 
fact, this is where we are influenced by each other. If, if I was to walk in, I used to teach music. So if I were to walk into a room and everybody's singing completely in harmony, they're all singing in harmony. It's going to be very easy for me to, it's going to just join them, you know, and sing the notes. It's going to be difficult for me to sing out of tune because everybody's mm-hmm. so in tune, right? Mm-hmm, I'd have mm-hmm. to work really hard to try. <laughs> so like that, if we get enough people that are, that are in this higher state of consciousness or this more natural state of consciousness, this moral state of consciousness, which is, which is based in the heart, it's based in unconditional love, then it'll be easier and easier for the masses to, to jump up. And this is all nature's joy and nature's uh, uh, intelligence. It's not anything that I can figure out and explain exactly, but I have discovered some aspects of how nature works through these different phase transitions. And that's uh, something I wrote about in the book. Well, as you say, when, um, when we're in fear or when we're in lack in, in what you would call the winter, it's very difficult to turn your uh, thoughts to the higher planes of, of love. Um, and, and yet um, in, in a perverse way, that's the only thing that's going to pull us through. So how do you experience that um, when you are in, um, in difficult situations? How did you survive what were the most horrendous um, physical challenges and still hold on to this sense of unconditional love. It, it was, it was a process. So let me let me answer in two uh, two forms of the answer. Um, if we have the ability to shift our attention, for instance, right now we're I'm my attention is on the words I'm saying to you, and then few other peripheral things, you know, chair I'm sitting on, but my attention is mostly on, on you and your audience and your community. And I'm speaking here. Now, if I have the ability to change my attention and put it like, let's say on my knee or in my, you know, move it around the room, then that by the way is a quality of consciousness, a state of consciousness that is a, a big deal. If you can change your attention, um, we have a, my, my daughter and wife and I, we have a, a, a pet dog. And I just know that his attention is always reacting to environmental. And, you know, he's not contemplating. I, I don't think so. But he's, he's reacting. He's always just reacting to what's going on in the moment. So like that, humans can get can stuck in a reactive habit where it is life happening to us and we're reacting. But if we can stop take a pause and place our attention or identify what we're thinking. And so there's always something bigger than what we're thinking that is able to identify it with awareness, with our attention or what we're feeling. So it's not, I am completely sad. I, there's the I that is separate from the sadness, able to identify the sadness. This, these are, these are, always available to those folks who can become aware, who have awareness. So that's the key. There are some people that haven't uh, 
They, they don't know how to uh, disconnect or they don't know how to put attention. They used to do workshops. Can everybody put their attention on their knees? Can everybody put their attention on their feet? Can everybody put their attention on their hearts? In other words, less attention on me up here talking and more attention on your own physical parts of your body. There were some people who didn't understand. They could not do that. So I, I thought it was just natural. So that is the key. If we can place our attention, then we can begin to, that is the natural uh, consequence of our surrendered um, state of attention. Mm -hmm. We're watching without trying to fix it in these moments. We're, we're watching without trying to run away from it. And even when we, we, we identify that part of us that's trying to run away, we can keep going back to that. So there's a resistance there. Allow that. This is a way to open the heart in the midst. And at some point, there's a sudden quantum shift. I use that because it's how quantum mechanics works. But there's a sudden, sudden shift of consciousness. We actually realize we are always present. We are always free. We are. This is the, our prior condition to the thoughts and all the objects of our reality. This is us. This is our epiphany. Often these epiphanies or realizations, they and get it, but you know, that's the, uh, the trick and come by a goal oriented, um, state of consciousness. It comes gold, uh, letting go process mm. the, of this moment of, well, that, and that goes back to, other than that goes back to being in the now, um, and just facing everything with an open heart and acceptance, or as, as you would say, surrender. Um, you had a lovely chapter on swimming with the dolphins. What were the main lessons that you took away from that encounter? It was so profound, Miriam, that I, I had to include it in my book. It was so profound. We've all heard about dolphins and uh, and I bet you your audience uh, knows of the mm, the magical consciousness that some dolphins have. And my experience with them, um, even though I had grown up seeing other worlds and celestial and auras, and, you know, I was not your average uh, kid. I was familiar with metaphysical realities and telepathy and so forth, but swimming with dolphins happened. The story is they communicate with me. And while I was out in Kikua Bay, Kona, snorkeling, and, uh, and even with my metaphysical past, I wanted to kind of tap out. I wanted to test and see that if they were really communicating with me or is it something that I was projecting on them or some other need or something, you know? So I, they took me through this journey. 
I mean, literally, I couldn't see under the water. It was very dirty, I suppose, or algae or something. And, you know, the visibility was just a few feet. And they said, they, they kept saying, well, I'm here and I'll swim to the left and I'll swim to the right. I was, had the snorkel, so I was high enough. I didn't have to keep going up and down. And for a long time, they just guided me and they said, okay, now look over to your left and you'll see us. And I looked over and there were these two dolphins that I'd started swimming with like an hour prior, taking me through this whole thing. And they both swam together with their eyes looking at me. And I just have never forgot that this could not have been. I mean, somebody listening could say, I'm just making it up or I, you know, didn't really happen, but I know myself that it, it really happened. And it was so profound that, uh, it, it, it added that, that understanding that we are not alone with our sentience, that at least dolphins and how they began to interact with me at that point, they began to play with me and communicate with me through symbols interesting ways that uh, they said that they're they have incarnated to help just radiate out unconditional love back to that (laughs) back to that key word right so douglas adams was right yeah from the seas they're radiating out that that's their purpose not all not every dolphin there's different just like every human is a little bit Uh different there's a certain class of dolphins i call them the master dolphins the lady masters and the the master male dolphins that are just radiating that love. And if we're lucky, we get to see them and swim. Wow. Them. You have a chapter called fear to love healing the heart of humanity in it. You write our collective hearts are connecting more clearly to our collective souls. Next highest level of evolution, our next highest level of pot- potential. We are connecting to the blueprint for the awakening of humanity. Um, what do you feel we can best do to help that come about? How is that the purpose of what I want to talk about before we finish about your mobile app? It's a tool. It's the purpose of the mobile app and it's one tool. As we understand more and more, the more experiences we have, the more empiricism that goes along with our daily life of love, the, the easier it will become and we'll reach a sudden tipping point. And that's again, how nature works. So, so the app is a, uh, let me back up just a second. And one of my uh, journeys into the higher dimensions, there is a domain full of geometries and symbols and mandalas that I went back and forth many times and wrote them all down. And then later found them in the Vedas and the Rig Vedas and, and the um, Taoist uh, art and also the Cherokee Indians and ancient some of the ancient Christian um, art pieces and also encoded in some of the scriptures. So I spent a lot of time looking at these ratios, these uh, codes. And there are 108 codes or 108 mandalas that are um, more active now than ever before. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject in and of itself. When we're looking at nature, when we're looking at a sunset, for instance, um, depending upon our state of consciousness, will determine our, the quality of that experience. So there's a, 
the sunset, there's the symbol, there's the mandala, and then there's our consciousness. But the sunset reminds us of our own inner beauty, reminds us, resonates with our own inner beauty. And at, at, at one point in our evolution, at some distinct, um, profound realization, we'll realize that we are the sunset. There is no difference. We are those geometries. And the geometries are creating different manifestations of the oneness. And, you know, it becomes, the paradoxes begin to collapse. So the, there's 108 mandalas, and with the help of William Tiller at Stanford University and some other really smart uh, engineers and scientists, we were able to just find a way to send the, the subtle energetic energy, the energy of those mandalas, of the sacred art, of the symbols for higher consciousness, first through the airwaves, through radio waves, and then through the digital domain to the place where we're at now where you can get them on, you can receive them as an app on your cell phone, which was a huge, great thing to know that we could go right into something that is relatively a new technology, something that didn't grow out of trees that you could say is not from nature directly, but put those frequencies of nature, those innate energies of nature on the carrier waves of the cell phone. So when you go and download the app, um, and it's a real app, it's called the Heart Plus app, H-E-R-T with the plus sign. And uh, just since people might be curious, you can go to loveisthepower.com, loveisthepower.com. And for a dollar ninety-five. Get the app either on the Google Store or the App Store, and it goes on your phone. You'll see the globe spinning. And what you'll be feeling is these natural frequencies, your own self, your own higher potential that is now resonating with you. And those are uh, frequencies coming out of the cell phone, and along with the other frequencies that is somebody's voice, you're talking to them, you know, and the music or whatever, all digital has all kinds of variety. So what we're doing is presenting that app as a tool for our own um, development. And it will enhance anything that's life supporting, anything that is resonating with higher consciousness, it will enhance. So it's, it's a good addition to our spiritual work, our past, our, our lives itself. Tell us about the experiments that were done with it. Yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that uh, it, was, it was good for people. And I, I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but we wanted to have proof for that. So we did a, a two-year study. Dr. Beverly Rubick, University of California, Berkeley, biophysicist, did a double-blind controlled study with people with the app turned on and people with looked just like the app, but it was not connected to our URL, URL not connected to our field generators with the mandalas. And so she went through this whole study and found that the people that were using the real, quote-unquote, it was all coded and decoded at the end of the experiment after a long time. Those folks that were using the real app connected to our field generators, their stress went down. And this was a controlled environment. Every subject was just sitting there reading some kind of boring catalog. She didn't want to have any stimulation just for, you know, 20 minutes at a time and over and over and over again, many ruling out uh, chance and uh, people with the app 
were less stressed and it was shown up in the form of their heart rate variability, which is a cardiologist's, one of the, the tools that cardiologists look at the health of the heart. If your HRV, heart rate variability, is good, it's higher, it's a higher number, then that means your stress is lower, you're more, more relaxed, you're, you're less stressed. And so that was found to be the case, 30% less stressed, 30% stronger heart. And so well, to... That's a lot better than that, most uh, drugs. Yeah. Absolutely. And no side effects. And even though I'm a, I'm a complete uh, proponent of yoga and meditation, massage, and I love all those, they did the studies on yoga and meditation massage, and, and most of those were like 15, 16, 17% less stress after a massage. So, um, so this was a profound result and was double-checked and peer-reviewed and published in a medical journal in January of this year to support the efficacy of the app that I just talked about. That's amazing. That's, um, I mean, that's, that's really <laughs> groundbreaking. And how did you come up with the idea? Well, I saw the mandalas in these high, and, and I understood that um, at, at certain phases of any system's development, there are, information fields that become active like the invisible blueprints so the reason why plants tend to grow you know rose plant always winds up a rose plant from the seed and there's various forms is that there's subtle information fields and those where the geometries come in the plants actually follow a geometric pattern um and they're in the the huge paradigm shift of a plant is from the green state of the stem and the leaf, which is a certain paradigm of uh, uh, photosynthesis. We've all heard about that, you know, giving out oxygen, taking in carbon dioxide. That's the system of the energy exchange of a plant. And then there's this huge transition into the flower. The paradigm of the plant itself changes. Uh, and it's and now it's a flower giving out beauty and fra fragrance for, the, for nature. And uh, that's via this information field, this subtle blueprint that the plant naturally follows if the right environmental conditions are there and soil and all that. So though, but the, the blueprint is always there. There's the, like the rainbow, the blueprint is always there. So our own blueprints for higher consciousness is activated more with these geometries, with the mandalas. And it is, it's the time. We're at that budding, blossoming time of humanity. And I'm not sure if it's going to be next week or next year, but the prophecies and the intuitions and folks I've worked with and American Indians and all over the world, there's these people who are seeing a sudden shift. We don't have to clean up every single problem, that there'll be a sudden emergence of higher consciousness and how that will look on the other side of that that's the flowering of humanity that's the blossoming we've never had the blossoming in our full potential before so how it will look we we will we don't know exactly but <laughs> stay know tuned <laughs> stay tuned we know there's going to be less suffering we know the quality of life is going to jump up uh-huh 
kind of the hundredth monkey effect exactly. a, a discontinuous uh, yes leap. yeah are you working on any other technologies now or to all the support time. this all the time <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, that's what we do for fun. More so is- people can find out more about it on your uh, website, loveisthepower.com? Yes. The best place. Great. Great. Okay. Well, I know that you are going to be making a, a really big impact with your, your book is very powerful. I, I really recommend it to our listeners as a fascinating read, if nothing else, just for a story of true grit but also for the the real insights into the cosmology that you you have a just a, a wonderful way of of conveying them the bits in um, italics were those channeled you know uh thank you for noticing that it wasn't that i was a, a trans channel or out of body or unaware but the the sections in italics were so far more so far uh, above my or greater than my individuality that i couldn't write it as as a first person dialogue um and in, in a sense i was channeling i i would keep keep letting go keep transcending getting out of my own way and the words would come so in a sense, yes, they are. They're, they're, I wrote them as a voice for all of humanity. Wonderful. I do have the uh, mobile app installed, and I am <clears throat> looking forward to, well, I'm, I'm already feeling calm, even though people are trying to destroy trees in my backyard, um, actually in the neighbor's backyard. So thank you very much, Robert, for being with us today and for writing this wonderful book. And I really look forward to seeing what's coming down the pike from your fertile imagination. It's all of us. We're all <laughs> in this together. You know, we are all in this together. And I'm, I'm just the lucky one who gets to, uh, you know, see symbols and things like that. But we are all in this together. And each one of our hearts is just as valuable and powerful as any other heart. And uh, it is a privilege to be speaking with you and be part of your community because it's having an effect. It is having a very positive effect. And that's another thing we can do is be alert, be alert for the kindness that we are seeing in the, in the, in midst of the tragedies, keep our attention more drawn to those, to those moments and those acts of uh, unconditional love. And, you know, uh, the fires that just have a, I used to live in Marin County and the response to uh, tragedies it always is humbling because they're not thinking, what's in it for me? They just know. They know they have to help. They are human. We have to help each other. And once we get to a place where tragedies are no longer required to bring that quality out, then joy begins to be the thing that we uh, give out more easily and, and experience for more uh, for more of our daily moments. So that's something we can remember, you know, yeah. it's, okay. it's separating the human experience from, from things, from collecting things outside of us and really focusing into who we are and as a collective and as individuals. Exactly. Well, uh, remember to go to loveisthepower.com 
which is also the name of the book, and download that wonderful Heart Plus app. Robert Williams, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a wonderful pleasure, Miriam. Thank you. Many blessings and thank you for listening. I'm Miriam Knight. Goodbye. Goodbye.